Well, they really set me up great in worship this morning because that song, The Goodness of God, I have that all queued up on my phone to, to play to you this morning, but we've already heard it, so maybe I won't do that. But that song, that's Jen Johnson, The Goodness of God. I sit before you this morning, and I have known the goodness of God in my life. Just unbelievable. He has been with me every moment for as long as I can remember, really. Um, I, told, I spoke a couple weeks ago and shared just a little bit about those last six days of my husband's life. I don't know if all of you were there, but uh, my husband, uh, Michael, uh, passed away in January. We were in Florida, and it was sudden. And those last six days, we were married for 52 years, four months, and six days. And I shared just a little snippet of how God's faithfulness bracketed those six days for me. And although it wasn't easy, uh, God was right there with me. And I just recall not ever feeling afraid or scared or even tired or pain. I, I just was absolutely held by the faithfulness of God through those days. But I wanted to share a little bit about the rest of the story, because a lot happened before those last six days. And actually, a lot's happened since, too. But actually, let me stop there for a minute. I'm going to tell you just about a couple little things that happened since Michael passed away. Uh, he passed in Florida, so it took us a few days to get me out of our house down there, and where we were renting, and back home. But I was home for a few days, and I was really beginning to feel like, Lord, I didn't pray hard enough. I should have done more. Why, why didn't I fight for his life? You know, the things the enemy will throw at you. Uh, but in this particular moment, I wasn't thinking about that, but those were little nagging thoughts that were in the back of my head. And I stepped out my door one day, and it was between the time I got home and prior to the actual funeral, so it was real soon. And the Lord just spoke to me, Claire Isabel, Michael fulfilled the length of his days. God knew how many, heart, how many beats his heart was going to have and flooded me with peace. Every now and again, that thought tries to come back. But I know the truth because God spoke it to me. Another instance um, since then was that I had a dream one night, and um, this was, again, fairly shortly, but you, you know, your mind's such a wash when you go through something like that. You don't always, my sequential events don't always line up quite where they should, but... Anyway, I had this dream, and it was a hospital setting, and Mike was on a gurney, like in a hallway, and he was covered up. And as I walked toward him, I knew he was gone. But I walked over, and I saw his feet move under the sheet. And I walked over to him, and I touched his feet, and they were warm. So I went over to him, and I leaned down, and he put his arms up around me, and he sat up, and he was fully awake. I mean, 100% more awake than I've ever seen him, you know, and he was a very energetic guy, he really was. It was, and it, that was the end of the dream, but it was amazing, it was amazing. It gave me a glimpse of where he is and what he's doing, and it was just fantastic touch from God that gave me such great comfort. And then later on, I had another dream, and Michael was a, a painting contractor. He had done that for many years, loved his work, loved to paint, loved to help, loved to serve, just a real uh, high work, work ethic kind of guy. But I had this vision of him, and I saw the throne room of heaven. And just very classically, it was all white and beautiful and marble, and God was over here on his throne, and he was so gracious. And then I looked up to the other side, way, way, way up high on a column, 
there was Michael up on a paint ladder, painting gold leaf paint around the top of the column in his little paint shorts that, you know, <laughs> so, you know, just comforting things that God is so real, he is so good, and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. You know, sometimes um, God can prepare us in an instant for something, but usually it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. And it takes a lifetime of cho- choices, and uh, I guess I'm kind of a, big, uh, a slow learner. It's, it hasn't always been easy, but, um, you know, I just want to share with you the things I've learned in the 52 years and four months that prepared me for those last six dates and beyond. And actually, it, it started before then. Uh, it's so amazing how Kathy and I had such a similar story growing up Catholic. Uh, I came from a very, very loving, loving family, and my Catholic parents were the real deal. I mean, they really lived their faith, and we were in church every time the doors were open. This was just grounded in me, and, and I was a, quite a very sensitive, uh, uh, docile child. You know, I was easily influenced by things, and I had a very tender and I remember very early experiences of God in my life, just touching my life and touching my heart. And you just don't even know what plans the Lord has for your children, whether they're babies or whether they're young adults. God has such a plan for them, and he sees it. Well, he had a plan for me, too. And I just remember some of those early experiences of always running to God and trusting God even in the midst of whatever else would be going on. Um, I had some early young experiences about being born again. This was before I met Mike. I was dating a young man, and he was a born-again Christian. And, of course, I was so Catholic that I was convinced I was going to convert him. And he'd come to church with me, and I'd go to church with him. And uh, one night I was in church with him, and uh, they gave an altar call. And I heard this born-again salvation call in my heart, and everything within me knew it was true. However, the denomination that he was in was very legalistic. I mean, the girl, you could go to the beach, you could go to the movies, you couldn't wear makeup, you couldn't wear shorts. Nothing fun. So, I mean, that was... (laughs) So, even though I heard that altar call in my heart, that legalism, that my mind say, something's wrong with this, something's not right. I remembered it, but I didn't embrace it at that that it affected me. So I moved on, and you know, eventually I ended up marrying Mike, and um, three babies later, I was 27, expecting baby number three, and Mike and I began to go through some real trials in our marriage. Um, I thought I'd just turn that off for a minute, but I guess we're okay. Uh, Anyway, he was unhappy, and I didn't know why, and I couldn't make him happy. But we ended down going down a very long, probably 22, 23-year-long road with immense trials in our marriage. And what I did was I ran right to God. I was brokenhearted when I woke up one day and realized I wasn't Cinderella, and he certainly wasn't Prince Charming, and I wasn't <laughs> living happily ever after. And, you know, something was wrong with his picture. But I turned on the TV one night, and Billy Graham was on. So I will forever love Billy Graham. I have no idea what he preached about. But I heard that call again, the same call I heard in that little church that night. And I connected the dots. And then it was undeniable. There was no rationale. Nothing nothing could have stopped me then from that goal. 
an intervention of God. Every time I felt like I was going to sink or just drop off the face of the earth, I, it, God just had always a safety net for me. So I embraced God. I didn't really tell Mike about this. He just wasn't open hearing any of this. And I'm still in the Catholic Church raising my three little kids. And time passes on. And um, just different signposts along the way. Um, an instant later on, this is this is a long, wrong, long road. Like Kathy said, it, sometimes it, what can ha- happen in an instant can also take a lifetime. Um, Mike and I had had a disagreement, and he kind of stormed out. And I was standing in my kitchen, and the kids were small; they were one, three, and five at that point. And I remember feeling I wasn't praying; I was just feeling my pain, and I. I remember saying to myself, oh, I could just drop right off the face of the earth now. Now, this was not a suicidal thought. It was nothing like that. I was just in so disappointed that life wasn't what I thought it should be. And I remember just standing there. I was trying not to let the kids see that I was upset. So I kind of just stood there trying to collect myself. And I said that, those very words to myself. I, I just wish I didn't exist right now. If I could drop right off the face of the earth. I heard a voice in my head, as clear as you're hearing me right now, and I wasn't talking to myself, but the voice said, keep your eyes on me. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was talking to myself, I'd say, keep your eyes on God. If you were talking to me, that's what you'd say. The voice clearly said, just keep your eyes on me. Mm-hmm. That became a reoccurring theme in my life. Just keep your eyes on God. That's the best advice I can give anybody. Mm-hmm. Just, you just cannot take your eyes off God. Well, from there, he lifted me up. You know, my, my crushed spirit that I was feeling, he lifted me up in that moment for the next battle that would come along. And they always do. You know, just be prepared. If you're in a good season now, great. But the next battle can be just around the corner, but it doesn't matter. Just keep your eyes on God. Um, fast forwarding again a few more years, we had moved a couple of times with job promotions and changes in our lives. And at one point, we uh, were living in... Uh, a home that we had only owned for a year and a half, and uh, we paid full price for it because he was moving me to a place that wasn't really all that nice, and I had to have this certain house, you know, I mean, not that I ever insisted on things with him, but anyway, we had to sell this house because we were moving again. And um, so I decided I was gonna do a for sale by owner, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend now, but. He had already moved on to the new job, and there I am with the three younger children now. And um, they were early elementary age by now. And I'm trying to sell this house. And I rise up in faith every morning. I'm going to sell this house. Lord, bring me a buyer for this house. And I'm all full of faith in the morning. Well, by 2 in the afternoon, I'm on the floor. Lord, you you know, crying again. (laughs) Just such a big baby. Just a big baby. And this went on for quite some time. And my goal in my heart was for us to get moved to the new home in time for school to start in the fall. And so this went on all summer long, trying to sell this house. So finally, I had just given up. I, Lord, I've prayed every word I can think of to pray, and you're not answering my prayer. Now, what's up with this? So I opened my Bible to Romans 8.26, and it talks about this, the words that cannot be uttered. The Spirit prays with words that we can't understand. Romans uh, 8.26 and 27. And I said, that's it, Lord. I don't know what those words are, but those are the words I'm praying to sell this house. And I kind of let it go. Well, within a couple of days, the house sold. 
I didn't think all that much of that until we got moved to New York and were in there and settled in, and I started meeting these born-again Christian women. God put a saintly little friend of mine right in my backyard, and we instantly bonded, and she was spirit-filled. I didn't know anything about spirit-filled. I was still in the Catholic Church. I had no teaching whatsoever. And she started telling me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and prayer language. And I said, oh, that reminds me of this. And I told her the story. And she went, my goodness, Betsy Faith, I guess you are <laughs> baptized in the Holy Spirit. So then I went full bore after that, full tilt. I talked about women who mentored me when I was young. There were some women that came into my life during that season that just spoke encouragement and strength and, you know, just... Um, everything I needed was, was poured out to me from the Lord through them because life was not getting easier with Michael. It was becoming more difficult. Um, and I'm trying to hold it together. God gave me a few good instructions, and I didn't know it again after the fact. I did not share my problems with very many people. I had one or two confidants because you always need someone to talk to and share with uh, if you're going through stuff. And it's great to ask people to pray for you for me, it was, I did not feel it was the right thing to go blabbing all over the place what was going on, mainly not because of shame or anything like that. I wanted to protect Mike. I knew there was a good man inside there somewhere, even though I wasn't really seeing the fruit of that right then. But I knew that if I did not um, protect him in that way and my children, so it was a hard road to walk. And it took a long time, so we were not. This was only about halfway through the process, so I hope I'm not being too scattered here. But but these are just signs of things that God signposts through my life. So I'm growing stronger in this uh, fellowship of believers, but I'm still in the Catholic Church. And the Lord started working on me about water baptism. And I went, oh, yeah, Lord, that's fine. But, you know, I was sprinkled as a baby, and I'm pretty sure that's good enough. I had a certain level of freedom in that, and... And he kept at it. The Holy Spirit kept prompting, you know. So finally I said, okay, Lord, yeah, someday I'll do that. And then he began to actually give me a desire. Well, when you're in the Catholic Church, you don't have any opportunity to get water baptized. It wasn't like they were doing that at all. So I'm just saying, Lord, I'm willing. And when you create this circumstance, I'll follow you in water baptism. Well, we're at a picnic one day. And by now my kids are either preteen or young teen. And we're a whole bunch of his friends, too organization family picnic and it was a super hot day and um, a friend of mine who was a Christian she said oh pastor so-and-so is down by the river here and he's gonna be doing some baptisms do you want to walk over and see him and I said sure that'd be great well I just finished playing tennis it was hot and sweat it was really really hot and um, uh, so we're there and all of a sudden the Lord drops in my heart the pastor's talking about something and the Lord says to me very clearly this is the day this is the time you need to get baptized and I went oh sure God yep I, I told you I'd do that God but you know full well I can't do this today I can't walk back to there and Mike with all his friends and say you know why are you dripping wet oh I got water baptized <laughs> this would not be a pretty sight so he, the Holy Spirit continues to prompt and I am just struggling and I'm having this dialogue with God you know I want to do this, but you know, also, no, I can't. God, you do understand, right? This is the, so finally I said, okay, Lord, is this in my head, or is this really you? You've got to show me a sign. So uh, they took the first person out into the water to be baptized, and they handed the person a little folded up like a man's handkerchief, and they held it over their face, and they immersed them. I never saw it done that way before, 
Of course, I've probably never witnessed a water baptism before, but, and I've never seen it done that way since. I looked down in my hand, and I had this already, because when I left the picnic area, I took one of Mike's handkerchiefs out of the thing, and I ran under cold water. I looked down in my hands, and I'm already holding this little handkerchief. So I knew that was, that was it. So I said, okay, God, I am going to do this, but I will not be responsible for his reaction to this. This is on you. I mean it. I really said that to God, because it, I, I just said, it was really going to, you know. I won't say what I was thinking of saying, but anyway. So, I got water baptized, and this is the handkerchief I had in my hand. And this is the scripture. It's John 8, 36. Who the Son sets free will be free. So, I mean, I have this. I almost wanted to put this in the coffin with him, but I thought I'd keep it for me. Francine, you can put it in with me when I go. If the Lord doesn't come back. But, you know, I've saved this all these years. So I, I know the faithfulness of God, and I want you to know the faithfulness of God. It is undeniable. It is amazing. It will never fail you. So I have to know that even what I've gone through now, since January to now, it will never, it will never fail us. We, Jesus told us we would have suffering. He said, don't, you know, you, in this world you will have, have trials. And then... Paul tells us, count it all joy when you suffer, uh, because when you suffer, it will build your perseverance, and perseverance will build your character, and character will give you hope, and hope will never disappoint you. I love that scripture. I love that scripture. That is just one of my, my favorites. Um, that perseverance, um, I was reading the other day, and I read in John 9 that story about the man born blind, and the apostle said, well, why is he blind? Was it his sin or his parents? And uh, um, he said, so God can be glorified. That, that whole chapter, there's 34 verses devoted to that, and it's such a story of that man, too. After he was healed, they, the Pharisees, first, first his friends said, oh, are you the guy? Are you the same one? How come you were blind before and now you can see? And then the Pharisees get a hold of him, and they question him thoroughly. And he says, oh, I don't know, I just put mud on my eyes and now I can see. And then they go after his parents. Well, who is this? And the whole thing, back and forth. And then they go back to the guy again. And the, uh, finally he says to them, well, how come you don't know this? You know, you guys are supposed to know the scriptures. How come you don't know the one that can heal me? People that are, are, are not of God can't heal. Because no one has been healed um, from a man born blind. The man's response to him really struck me. Because of his, it's very perseverant. He was not going to cave in to their, you know, their words. Um, and the fact is that because he was born blind, he probably was uneducated. He probably was untrained. And yet he had that confidence. Now, that's, that's you know, so we can't use our circumstances as an excuse yeah. not to, you know, just because you're in a tough spot doesn't mean you have to stay there or let it control you. Um, so it just struck me how boldly he spoke back to them because very few people did. They were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue. Maybe this guy felt like he didn't have much to lose, but you know what? We don't either. You know, heaven is ours to gain, you know. Um, so when we step out on that limb for God and, and decide to really embrace what he has for us, uh, we can have that kind of boldness. Um, I love also 2 Corinthians 4, 6 that talks about, I might be pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. 
I am struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I hung on to that scripture so much through those years because this did not feel good. This, this Cinderella idea that I had in my head when I got married, and it wasn't even what God's best for me then. I am so glad now that I didn't have some cushy cop life because what Mike and I ended up with in the end was something so pure gold uh, because God so got a hold of his life. Uh, it took a long time and many tears on my part, and Lord knows it could have happened years earlier if I would have just gotten out of the way. But eventually I came to that place as I had these wonderful people in my life that came around me and stood behind, beside me and helped me to really learn about the faithfulness of God. And the stronger I got, the more annoyed he got because he could tell them that I wasn't that easily controlled anymore. I think that when he married me, he thought I was going to be a wimpy little woman that he could control. And that was something he thought he needed, but... Um, it turned out I was way stronger than I thought I was. And so are you. And so are you. Because that perseverance will just uh, build your character and it will give you hope. So learning to overcome grief. I feel stronger every day. I feel more recently that a little less fragile than I did in the beginning. Um, I miss him terribly. I mean, he was, it just became the exact opposite of what I was seeing in him, but what I knew to be true in the first place. Did someone get me a tissue? Anyway, the day I got baptized, yes, so I get baptized. So I said to my friend, I'm getting baptized. And she goes, oh, okay, I'll go with you. So we both got baptized that day. It was very exciting. And I just had laid aside any concern about the outcome because I couldn't handle it anymore. And anyway, so I got baptized. I come up out of the water. We stood there on the edge of the river, uh, chatted for a little while, and my hair dried, my clothes dried, my makeup didn't run. I walked back to the picnic, and Mike never knew what I did. I, unbelievable. That was a miracle. That was a miracle. I should have been a mess. I mean, it was all, you know, dunk, dunk me in the water now, forget about it. But yeah, yeah, he, he never knew. My girls knew, Ginger and Francine. They looked at me, Mom, where were you? What did you do? Because I think I was grinning like a Cheshire cat. I was just like, eh, you know, so giddy because I knew God had done something, you know. So it was awesome. Anyway, so um, has this been a tough eight months for COVID, losing Michael, trying to figure out how to do life with, after a man, you know, 52 years? It came down to the point that God so changed that guy that it would almost be unrecognizable. He absolutely adored me. Came to the end, he would, I was, ended up getting so much more than I bargained for. And I can just uh, rejoice in the life that we had together. And um, the, the gift that he's given me and my family, I have, three wonderful children and seven wonderful grandchildren and they have come alongside me and stand in the gap for me. We love one another and just the blessing of God. So what the enemy meant for destruction, we have turned around and looked to God and allowed him to work it for good. Um, so we can't consider that our present sufferings are ever worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us and through us and in, in the future. Um, 
Jesus has been for many, many years now my hope and the anchor for my soul. And I'm pretty stubborn. I didn't know I was stubborn, but I am. I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> I'm German, and I guess we have a reputation for that. But yeah, but anyway, yeah. So Jesus is the anchor for my soul, and I refuse to be moved. There was no way I was given up on my marriage because I knew that what was really in my God had shown me that. And I thought, I'll be darned if somebody else is going to end up being married to my husband. There's no way I'm not having it. So that's all there was to it. Some of you knew Mike a little bit. I know Diane knew him a bit and a um, few others of you in here. But he became a very warm and loving, giving person. Uh, he affected a lot of people. He led my older brother to the Lord. And he never stood taller in my eyes than that day. My brother was really ill, and we went to visit him. And I'm trying to pray a salvation prayer with my brother, and I am just stumbling over the words. I could not, I was completely incoherent. And Michael was never one to push himself into the limelight of anything spiritual, usually. He was always one to be a worker, basically. I'll help, and I'll give, and I'll serve. But he wasn't one to go out and evangelize. Well, he just stepped to Betsy, you're not getting the job done. And step aside. And he shared with my brother, and my brother's now in heaven because of Mike. And he just, you know, you know what a man, what the enemy meant for evil, what he tried to destroy, uh, God used for good, and just created such a, a memory that I can hold in my heart forever. Uh, people say to me, do you feel lonely? I don't feel lonely. I miss him, but I don't feel lonely. Um, I've never lived by myself before. I went from my parents' house to being married to Michael, so it's kind of a new adventure for me, and I, I don't know what the future will hold or, or what God wants to do with me next, but I, I know there's another chapter. I'm going to be 75 years old on Saturday. But I'm not done yet. I am not done yet. And if God can use me in any way to encourage someone else, um, I, I just want to be willing to do that. I want to just tell you that you might be going through different trials. You might have different uh, problems, but they all turn out the same, that we need to keep our eyes on God. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to keep choosing him. We have to stand on that rock and trusting him every day in every way. Um, I was looking... Um, the Bible puts these two words together quite a few times in the New Testament. I counted 17 where he talks about grace and peace. And in every single instance, grace comes before peace. So we have to learn how to walk in that grace in order to achieve the peace. So I was just amazed at that. Uh, peace uh, always follows the grace. We're to pursue peace. Um, as Jesus told us to do, he, he was full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Now, we don't do that quite as well as he did. Grace means, or truth is, you've messed up. Grace is, but I love you anyway, you know, and I'll save you out of it. Jesus did that perfectly. He had that perfect walk of grace and truth. So if you're walking with your, your children or your relatives or your husband or whoever it is, try to have that 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 right balance of grace and truth because you don't have to tell them it's okay when it's not, but you have to let them know that you love them anyway, no matter what it is. Uh, and Jesus uh, said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, 
because I have overcome the world. Genesis 28:17 says, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Uh, and this is that he was looking at the, the promised land. But we need to look forward to that gate of heaven too. That gate of heaven is open to us. Uh, and being saved and walking in the victory, it's just, it's a process and it's a daily choice. Um, I, think that's, I think that's the end of my words here. I don't know, maybe we'll end a little bit early. I would like to give opportunity for anybody who has any, any questions or if someone wants prayer or uh, did I miss anything, Francine? She found a lot of my story. Can I have a question? Yes. How did Mike accept the Lord? Okay. Uh, well, that's, that's, that. that's a good, good question. Um, we lived in upstate New York. Uh, Francine and her husband uh, were expecting Maggie. And uh, we'd come here for a visit. And Michael had nothing. I had left the Catholic Church probably at least 10 or 15 years earlier than that. And God did that in a miraculous way too. Just moved, moved things around because I had no intention of stepping out from under my husband's covering. Uh, and I, I just knew that God would move me out of the Catholic Church sometime. But I knew he'd show me when and how, and he did. So anyway, I ended up leaving the Catholic Church. The kids and I had this great kids grew up in the church. They all got saved and went to a little Christian school and we were just having a grand old time, and Mike was just, you know, sputtering around in the background doing his thing. But <laughs> so, so, you know, many years go by. Francine uh, is living here, and we came for a visit. And we actually came to church with her, where Mike would never go to church with me at home. You know, he had stopped going to the Catholic Church a long time ago, and uh, we were attending the, this little mountainside Christian fellowship. And, uh, but we came here to visit, and we came to visit Resurrection Life Church. And actually, Mario Morello was speaking on a Sunday night service. And he was giving an altar call at the end. And of course, I've got my head down. I'm praying. And all of a sudden, I look over, and Mike's gone. I thought, oh, great. He's out in the parking lot. Pitching a few noise. That was the woman of faith that I am. You know, this is the most I could believe for. But then Francine looks at me. She goes, Mom, Dad went down front. And he gave his life to the Lord. So... And I expected that we'd be raised in a hallelujah and he'd be instantly changed and it would all be one. <laughs> it was two years before I saw any evidence of change in him. Yeah. So I began to actually wonder if he really had gotten saved. So, you know, push came to shove and it wasn't, we were both very, we're sort of like outgoing, dynamic people. So there was, our marriage really was a life full of passion, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, I want, I want to tell you. The latter, the latter part was the good. But um, uh, so I eventually said to him, I said, Mike, I don't know what happened in you. You know, you said you got saved, but I am seeing no evidence of it. Now you better go find God the way I found God, or I'm just not going to live with you anymore. I, I, up to here. I'm at 24 years. Enough is enough already. I never would recommend that you offer someone an ultimatum like that, but I think this is just what I needed to do in this instance. And um, so... Uh, he finally did. He actually went to my pastor, who really wasn't his favorite person. But and I told, him, I said, and I'm not helping you. You go find God the way I found God, and I'm not helping you. But that was it. This this went from this wimp that I wimpy doormat that I had been to someone God had built in me a source to be reckoned with, and I knew who I was in God by then. And I'm still learning that, by the way. This is never once and done. But um, but Bill, uh, my pastor, 
friend uh, met with Mike every week, one-on-one, -on -one, and gently led Mike into a place where he just began to grow into to that, that man of God. And it, it, it was a continual process from then. That would have been, well, 22, 23 years ago. Mike continued to grow to be stronger and uh, more loving, more kind, more a really godly. He was not a cookie-cutter Christian by any means. You wouldn't hear Mike going, oh, praise the Lord. You know, that wasn't his style. Or let me lay hands and pray for you. That wasn't what he did. But he would be, let me help you. You know, let me give you something. Let me. That was his, his way of walking with God. He was his own, he was his own guy. He was God's own guy. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's how he, he got saved. It was a long process. And, so don't, don't be too quick. God's timeline in ours is completely different. We live in this thing where we live in 24-hour increments and days and weeks and months and years. That is not how God operates. And, you know, when we're, we're in his timeline, it's just a matter of, of walking with that. I have known the faithfulness of God. I have known I, undeniable. And I want you to know that, too, that no matter what you're going through or what your what your burden is, because we all have stuff that just then we would try to use to take us out. Oh, that is the that is the faithfulness of God. That is the faithfulness of God. Oh, yeah. and God catches every one of those tears, every one of those tears. Oh, praise God! That that is isn't that amazing? It's, that is exactly what we are talking about here. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, let me pray for you, if I may, I would pray for you after when we finish. And yeah, we just are so glad that you're here. Because um, if God can use me, like I said, I, I felt like I came rather unprepared. God just said, just sit down and chat with the girls. And, and I hope I wasn't too scattered or that was meaningful. Because this is not about me. This has nothing to do with me. This is God. Because he never let me go. And for some reason, he enabled me to never let go of him. Uh, so just when you think you're about to, to go under, oh, praise God. We thank you all for coming and um, you're all precious, beautiful, smiling faces, precious women of God. Um, oh, I got you all crying. Tell about the pearl. Oh. We've been, we've, been, we've been wintering in Florida for the past five years, and we rented a little house in Vero Beach on the Side, very nice little quite and sleepy little town and um, we made some really nice friendships down there and we had these what we call elderly friends that's because they were 85 and or 75 but, anyway. <laughs> but Mike was like the energizer bunny now he had a very serious heart condition for years but some years ago the doctor just said to him Mike just live your life and you know that's what we did we he did not live like a sick person anybody knew who knew him he was always on the go so he ended up painting a whole great big ceiling in a dining room and great room in these elderly friends of ours' house two days before he passed away. And um, that he painted the ceiling. He would have gone back the next day and finished it, except that the lady said, well, it's kind of chilly, and I can't open the windows, and the paint fumes bother me. So he kind of took Wednesday off. And actually, we had them over to play cards in the afternoon, and I made dinner for him. So... But anyway, that Tuesday night, he painted their ceiling. And um, I told him to call me when he was done. I'd come pick him up. They were only two blocks away from where we were. And uh, next thing I know, he comes walking down the, up the driveway, 
carrying his old paint bucket and his paint pole and all that. So I said, Mike, why didn't you call me? Well, I didn't want to get paint in the car. All right. So he is the energizer. <laughs> and uh, we were going to go out to dinner that night. And he said, well, I'm going to go take a shower. And I said, good. I got a quick errand. I'll be back. Anyway, so we went to dinner that night. And um, he had told me in advance, you know, let's, let's have a nice dinner Tuesday night. We'll make a reservation. We, make, we plan this. And I had a new outfit on. It's a black sweater, and I had received these beautiful pearls. I, I'm a Jaffa consultant, and I had gotten these beautiful freshwater pearls. So I had my sweater and my beautiful pearls on, and we're sitting there at dinner. Now, I, I should preempt this by saying my husband was not one of flattery words. I can't say that I heard very, very many verbal comp. That wasn't his love language. You know, he just didn't, you know, so I could count on one hand the number of times he told me I was pretty or attractive or anything. But we're sitting at dinner. And he looks across the table at me. We were just chit-chatting about different things. And he goes, Betsy, you look ravishing. <laughs> now, I know the ravishing ship sailed years ago. But anyway, I looked at him and I said, I said, what did you say? And he goes, oh, you just want to hear me say it again. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I want to hear you say it again. So, I should have warned them today. Yeah, I should have warned them, yeah. Yes, it, it was just a memory. The, the little things, God gave me that. 